Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. So if you have your Bibles, please turn to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll be looking at about six some verses. Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start from verse 19. And those of us who are joining us for the first time, last week we started this whole new series simply called uh, Live Different. And we wanted to help people to understand that life is worth living, but not just like the world or just being like somebody else, but to live it in a way that is different, different in ways that God has actually called us to, to live differently than the things around us and to people around us. And so last week I talked about part one, how it's important to really have a different type of hope. Uh, We don't have the same kind of hope that the world does, but our hope that we have is in Jesus Christ, and that's why our hope is eternal. Today I want to talk about just a different type of community. Uh, What does it really mean to be in community with one another and to be in fellowship together? And this is such a vital part to your spiritual life, and so we want to talk about that this morning. So I wanted to start off with a question. The question is this, if you can create the perfect community, so just think about that for a moment. If you can create the perfect community uh, that you could be a part of, then what would it be like? What are some of the things that you would want to see? Who are some of the people that you would want to be in that community? You know, normally all you have to do is just look at the group that you're part of. And when you examine it very carefully, you realize that those are the kinds of community that you want to be a part of. For many of us, if you think about the community that you're a part of right now, you will notice that a lot of times it is based on maybe a particular ethnicity. So think about that group that you hang out with and the community that you really enjoy being a part of. You will notice that many of them are probably out of the same ethnicity, speaking the same language. And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but once again, I just want us to at least acknowledge, like, oh, maybe all the people that I hang out with are very similar to me. It could be based on values. It could be based on interest. It could be based on religion. There are so many things, traits, that bring people together that causes us to form community. But what if we had more in common with people that we might not actually know or normally gravitate towards, but there is something when you bring a group of people together that there is something powerful and transformative that we can experience. I wanted to show you this video and it's a social experiment that was done And just to highlight the point that we have more in common than we like to believe. And so it's a group of people. They just gather a bunch of people together with all different ethnicities, all different types and personalities. And what they will do is they'll just begin to say, how many of you have experienced? And then they will just cluster together. And then they will take a picture. And then they'll do this for several rounds. And I just want you to see how vastly different the people are. And I want you to, even though you might not know them, all you could do is just judge them from the outer appearance. But I want you to know that there are so many different types of people, but
but there is usually something that brings people together, some kind of commonality. And especially towards the end of this video, I want you to listen to the very thing that brings all of us together, much more than you like to believe. So let's watch this together. Amen. And then there's us who are made in the image of God, and that brings us together. I'm a firm believer that when you are part of a community with people who are made in the image of God, and those who are not only believers in Jesus Christ, but those who are even maybe seeking, that you will experience something very powerful. And this is the reason why, for those of us who are new to our church, our church is really not about Sundays. And I think we got to break this cycle that I see in so many Christian circles around the world where it's easy to just go on Sundays and think to yourself, I've done my religious duty and I'm good. And then it's something that you repeat week after week. As we always talk about, church does not happen on Sundays. That's why we don't call it a Sunday service. We call it a Sunday celebration because we're celebrating all that God is doing in the place that's actually where church is happening, which is our life group, which is our small group community. And this is a place where you don't just look at the back of the heads of people, but this is a place where you face each other face to face, and then you share and you do life together. And this is something that I believe that we want to do differently. Because it, it is one of the saddest things that I, oftentimes I see that there are people who are not believers in Jesus Christ who have deeper community than those that are in the church. And if you think about everything that we see in Scripture, there are over 50-some one another's in the New Testament. Love one another, serve one another, be devoted to one another, forgive one another. All these one another's that you'll see over and over again, it is not a suggestion, but it's a command from God. And you cannot do some of these one another's just by coming on Sundays. So I want to talk about why community is such a vital part in trying to live differently than the world. And in fact, it will be so attractive that we could even invite the world to be a part of and experience community with us. I know that there are some of us who have been hurt by the church. I do understand that there are some of you who have been hurt by Christians. And because of that, that's the last thing that you want to be a part of. But can I just encourage us who are in that situation, you will be hurt regardless. Whether it's Christians, from your bosses to your friends, we will always get hurt. That is the reality of life. But that should not prevent us from investing ourselves into something that can actually transform your life. And I'm praying that we will have this kind of community that will be different. Listen to what Gerald Jew said. He wrote this, the church is unique in that it is so able to cut across age boundaries and social status boundaries. When one loves the Lord Jesus Christ and sincerely seeks to follow him, then one quite by surprise comes upon a community 
that he did not know existed, a community that is experienced within the heart. And when this community is found, nothing is ever quite the same again. Genuine biblical community has to be experienced in the heart. This is why you have to be involved in people's lives. And can I just pause here and speak to those of us who have been in our church for a long time. To those of you who have been in our church and life group is just a way of life for you, you, you've been going for years now. I want to challenge you as well. Because oftentimes you just sign up to be a part of a life group, but throughout that time, lifespan of that life group, you are a consumer rather than a contributor. And I want to challenge you that this year in this new season of ministry, if you have been part of our life group, that you will stop consuming and make it all about you and think about there are new people who have yet to experience the things that you have experienced, the things that God wants them to experience, that God will use you to make contributions, whether it's your time, your energy, whatever it may be, to contribute into the experience of community that comes from the heart. So today we want to talk about the importance of biblical community and how it is different than all other communities in this world, and it's because of Jesus. So let me give us the one thing that I want you to remember. This is going to be the focal point of the message today as we look at Hebrews chapter 10. The one thing is simply this. The cross of Christ is a necessity for genuine biblical community. The cross of Jesus Christ, it is a necessity for genuine experience of biblical community. And we'll see this in Hebrews chapter 10. So there's two, two things that I want to, that all of us, we have to focus in on when it comes to the cross of Christ and how it is a necessity for genuine biblical community. So I'm going to talk about these two things. The first thing is this, that Jesus must be our message, that Jesus must be our message. I want to go ahead and read verse 19 through 23. So Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, starting from verse 19, I'll read these verses first. And listen to what it says. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. So let me look at these verses, and we'll say verse 23 for the second point. If you look at these 11, or excuse me, 18 verses from chapter 10, so starting from verse 1 of chapter 10 all the way through chapter, uh, verse 18, the writer of Hebrews is explaining why Christ sacrifice on the cross was so important for the jewish person they had to constantly offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of sins so I, those of us who might not be very bible literate or you might not really understand the bible very well i need i need you to understand this during the biblical times before jesus came the jewish people in their relationship with god when they want their sins forgiven what they will do is they will bring an animal and they will have the priest sacrifice that animal and let the blood spill 
and then they will pray over that person and their sins will be forgiven. That was the ceremonial law. That is how they understood that their relationship with God can be made right because there had to be a sacrifice. So this is for every Jewish person. They understood this. But the writer of Hebrews explains how Jesus' death on the cross was a sacrifice that was once and for all. The Jewish people had to constantly come and give sacrifices when they sinned. But the writer of Hebrews is saying that when Jesus died on the cross, if those of us know, what did he say when he died on the cross? Do you remember? He said it's finished. That the work of Jesus Christ dying on the cross now is completely finished. This whole sacrificial system that that sacrifice, which is himself on the cross, is once and for all. So now we don't have to bring animals, but all we have to do is confess our sins to God through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you and I could not live, and he died the death that you and I should have died because the wages of sin is death, as the Bible says. So think about this. You don't have to offer any more sacrifices for your sins to be forgiven. Now, the writer of Hebrews begins to talk about some of the privileges that we have as believers of Jesus' perfect sacrifice on the cross, a once and for all sacrifice. And I want you to look at these two things. That's why the message has to be about Jesus. He has to be the center of our lives if we're going to have genuine biblical community. Some of the privileges that come with Jesus Christ dying on the cross once and for all, the first thing is this, we have a confident access. We have a confident access to God. Look at verse 19 through 21 again. I, I, I just want us to reference to this. I, I, I want you to see, as we have read this before, the, the imagery and even the point of Jesus and what he has done. So he says, we have confidence to enter into these holy places because of what? The blood of Jesus. That he opened up a way. It's a new and living way. And it opened us through the curtain. I'm going to explain some of these things, so I just want us to see it first. And then we have this great priest over the house of God. So now, when we think about this confident access to God, what you need to know is this. For the Jewish people in the temple... They had the most holy of holies, or it was just called the holy of holies, or the most holy place. And then they would have these other places where only certain people could come to. Now the significance of this is because they believed in the holy of holies, or the most holy place, was the very presence of God. So that's why they built this curtain to cover this holy place so no one could enter in. In fact, the high priest is the only one that can enter into this most holy place. And he can only enter in once a year. That's it. And even then, when it's once a year, they will tie a little bell to their ankles just in case they see the presence of God and die. And then they will be like, chuk, 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 and then they will have to pull them out. I mean, we're, we're talking about serious holiness. So you have to understand that this curtain or this veil separated God and his presence 
to sinful people like us. And if you know your Bible, you will notice in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, as well as Mark chapter 15, verse 38, that when Jesus died on the cross, one of the things that happened as soon as he died, after he said, it is finished, what tore in half? Do you remember? The curtain or the veil ripped in half, which simply means that now we have access to God in his presence. Some commentators and scholars says that now the presence of God is leaving that place and it's all over. Regardless, now in many ways the presence of God is something that we have access to because of Jesus Christ. The word confidence that we just looked at in verse 19 it is translated as boldly, which is literally translated as freedom of speech. So think about that for a moment. When you think about freedom of speech, you're free to just say whatever you want. A lot of times when you're around people of high authority or people are influencers, sometimes you're always kind of like, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? I heard that Dwayne Wade was here. Uh, if you don't know who he is, that's okay. Uh, he's not Jesus, so it's okay. Uh, just think about some of your favorite, like, celebrities. Like, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but what would you say if you actually met them? Like, you're coming up the elevator for Sunday celebration, and they just happen to be there. What normally happens is awkwardness or stargazing, and they're going to think you're weird. And so when you think about the freedom of speech, that means that you're comfortable. That means you don't have to put a pretense. That means that you don't have to have everything all put together. So that's why the writer of Hebrews uses this word confidence because it means boldly or freedom of speech. Listen to some of these other translations of the message translation. Listen to what it says. We now, we can now what? Without hesitation. Walk right up to God. No hesitation. It's kind of interesting because sometimes when I'm working on something and someone needs to bring something up or talk to me, they're always like creeping and it makes you kind of creepy, you know, because they don't want to bother me, which, which I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you're being considerate, but if it was my kids when they were younger, they would just open the door, Dad! And I'd be like, yeah. Because once again, it is without hesitation because we have this confident access to God. The New King James Version says this, and read the yellow section with me. Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Boldness to enter. And so what we see here is that your personal relationship with God and how you understand the confidence that you have to access God will actually really begin to determine what kind of community you will contribute to and what you will experience. It's also very interesting that in verse 21, we see Jesus is also the great priest over the house of God. Now, this reminds us that having this confident access to God is not just about us. Well, how do you understand that, Pastor? Well, if you think about this, 
you will notice that there's another reference that talks about the house of God. And who is the house of God? What is the house of God? In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4 through 6, I'm going to read this. I want you to read the yellow section with me. Listen to what it says. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. So once again, Jesus Christ is over God's house that we just saw right here in chapter 10. And then it says, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So if you go back into chapter 10, as we have read, we see that Jesus is the great priest over the house of God, which means that Jesus is the great priest over his people. Therefore, you and I, we are part of God's house. And Jesus Christ is the priest who is over us, the house of God. Now, why is this significant? I think when you really study Scripture, you'll notice that in the heart of the gospel, not only is it about Jesus, but it's about relationships. That's why when you look all throughout Scripture, you will notice that when we sin, oftentimes it's sin against people, which then we have sinned against God. This is why having this confident access to God, understanding it, practicing it, living it out, will actually transform the way you do community. Because once again, the message is all about Jesus, what he has done on the cross for us. The second thing that I want you to notice is that not only do we have this confident access, but I want you to see here we have a convincing assurance. Let's read verse 22 and 23. It says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let's just read verse 22. So I want you to notice in this verse of verse 22 that the phrase draw near means entering into the presence of God. Not because of what we have done, because we're made righteous and we're like, hey, I'm a righteous God, uh, guy, God, so let me enter in. No, it's because of what Jesus Christ has done and that's why we can come with a true heart full of assurance of faith. It is simply demonstrating our complete trust and devotion to God. It's all about you. That's why in verse 22, we see this imagery of our hearts sprinkled and our body washed. These are imageries that are taken from the Old Testament, like in the book of Leviticus. If you're going to approach God, you're going to have to sprinkle yourself with this holy water. If you're going to approach God, then you, you got to make sure that you come to him with your body washed. And some, some people from other religions still do this. 
If you look at the Islamic faith, uh, whenever I visit different countries and I, I have an opportunity to have conversations with people from other faiths, you'll notice that they wash themselves, their hands, their face, their feet, because they want to come to God who is holy. They want to come to him in a pure way. So this is the thing that I want you to understand. This imagery of having our hearts sprinkled with water and our body washed, what it's simply saying is that we do this because it allows us to approach God. But the writer of Hebrews is saying because Jesus died on the cross for us, that he has sprinkled our hearts clean because of his blood. And not only that, but our bodies are washed our simple bodies, our flesh, is washed because Jesus Christ bled on the cross and died for you. So when you look at these two things, of having this confident access to God and this convincing assurance, not on what you have done, but what Christ has done for us, I want you to notice that this is really about Jesus and the gospel. That's why we have to remember Jesus is the real reason why we're able to have community. He is the reason why people who are so different can come together with the love of Jesus Christ and be a part of God's family. Let me put it in a way that's very practical. So some of you who have been part of our life group ministry, you will understand what I'm trying to say. Just think about some of your previous life groups. Those of us who are new and you haven't experienced life group yet, uh, just you could think about your family. You could think about maybe times you fellowship with other Christians. I want you to think about this for a moment. How many times have you gone to life group and you're not doing well with God? Let's just say maybe a couple days before you sin and you feel really guilty and you feel bad and you really don't want to go to life group because you don't want to talk to people. You don't want to see people. But maybe your leader is like, hey, are you going to come? And you're like, oh, I'm in charge of birthdays. i got to get the cake. Time to get the cake. i got to get the cake. Don't forget the candles. i, I got to get the cake. And so here you are like, okay, I'll just go. How many of us, when we enter into life group, you're just really excited. You, you are ready to contribute and to give of your energy, your time. And if we're being completely honest, all of us would say, I've been there, and that's the last thing I want to do. Why? Because your relationship with God, you're not doing well. And so when you come, your mindset is more like, I just want to receive, which is fine. But once again, the question that I have for you is, do you really understand the message of the gospel and of Jesus? And because of that, what you experience with him in this confident access that you have, that you can literally just open the door and say, God, and without any hesitation, that you enter in, into his presence, and you know that you have been sprinkled, not with water, but with the blood of Jesus Christ so that your sins are forgiven and you are whole and renewed. And when you think about that and you experience that in your walk with God, I'm telling you right now, that is what's going to cause you to want to give to others. So I want you to now picture a life group with not just you struggling 
and not doing well in your relation with God, you're living in sin. I want you to think about your life group where everyone is like that. That will not be much of a life group. Because not only will people want to just take, but they don't have the gospel and they don't have Jesus as the main message. Why we gather together, why we're able to gather together, why we are the house of God. That's why I think it's absolutely critical that we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Understand this message that it's about Jesus, that he died on the cross, which is a necessity because that allows us to have access confidently to God. And through that, we have this convincing assurance that our lives not only is forgiven of our sins, but our lives now matter a lot. So when you experience that kind of stuff in your walk with God, I'm telling you right now, you come into life group because you are now part of the house of God. You're going to want to build up that house. You're going to want to help somebody. You're going to try to encourage somebody who's struggling. Your heart will begin to overflow with joy. You will overflow with love in your heart that you want to try to help people or maybe speak a word of encouragement. Because what you're receiving from God in your relationship with God, that is what overflows. Let me put it in a different way and maybe as a challenge to some of us. Out of all my years that I've been doing this Christianity thing and I've been part of life group, I've yet to meet a life group where people are growing in their relationship with God that it's a horrible life group. So this is the litmus test. If your life group is not doing well, what you have to ask yourself is, is Jesus really our message? Is the gospel the center of what we do? How am I doing in my relationship with God? How is everyone else doing in their relationship with God? Let me come from a different angle, if some of you are still not convinced. Think about the time where you felt really your life group was really close. You were experiencing just community. Can I ask you, what was the event? What was the circumstances? What was going on that caused you to feel that? Think about Easter and baptism. It's about Jesus, what he did in this person's life that's going to get baptized now, that they experience the gospel through your life group. That's why you don't think about yourself at that time. That's when you're so grateful that you're part of a life group in a community that has a heart for the lost. Think about when you serve together. Once again, it's not about you, but you're thinking outside of yourself and you're serving others who are maybe marginalized or who are at in a situation where they're hurting and you, as a group, you're ministering to those people. What do you feel? You feel unity, a sense of unity, joy in your heart? Because it's not about you. So here's my encouragement to all of us here as we're going to be starting life groups starting this coming week. Is Jesus your message? 
Are you growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ? That you're not ashamed that you can approach God knowing that you're fully sinful, but yet God has called you the holy ones. Because you don't make yourself holy, but Jesus does. And out of that gratefulness and gratitude in your heart, you want to bless people around you. If we're going to be a community that is different, then we must let Jesus be the focus of the reason why we come together. He is our message. The second point is this. Jesus must not only be our message, but Jesus must be our motivation. That Jesus must be our motivation. If the cross of Christ is a necessity for us to genuinely experience this biblical community, not only does Jesus have to be the message that we center everything around, but he has to be our motivation for why we gather, what, why we do what we do. I want to read verse 23 through verse 25 in these three verses. Listen to what it says. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So earlier in verse 22, we saw, let us draw near. We, we saw that phrase. Now in verse 23, as we just read, we see the second let us. The let us statement. So once again, it's about community. You, you, don't, you don't live this Christian life by yourself. It has to be with others. So he says, let us not only draw near to God, but what does he say? Let us hold fast. That phrase, hold fast, it means to hold on to something tightly. Listen to some of these other translations. The message translation, let's keep a firm grip. The next translation, it says, let us hold unswervingly. So don't let, let it shake or move to here or there, but unswervingly. And then the Amplified Version says, let us seize and hold tightly. But what are we supposed to hold tightly to and have a firm grip on? was well, the confession of our hope. But as we know, this is something that is hard to do because if we're going to be really honest here, all of us, we go through times of feeling hopeless. We go through times of discouragement. We go through times of just really wondering, like, why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? We go through these seasons. We go through these moments. And that's why at the end of verse 23, it is such an important part. I hope you get it. It's a good reminder for us. It says, for he who promised is what? He's faithful. I want to speak to some of us who are religious and self-righteous at heart. I think one of the things that will kill you spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, is that when you try so hard on your own and you keep on failing. The problem with people who are more self-righteous at heart, you're trying to earn your way or trying to present yourself a certain way, is that you will never be perfect. You will never be 100% faithful. 
Think about some of the responsibilities. Some of the things you're supposed to do. Are you 100% faithful? Of course not. That, that, that is the nature of who we are. We're humans. So those of us who rest and trust and hold tightly to our own self-righteousness, like how faithful I am or how many times I've read the Bible, how many times that I pray, how many times that I serve. You're the person ever since you're young, you got that award for never missing a class, a day of school. Like those types of things. Somehow in your mind, you think that you can do it. And I just don't think you've come to the realization of how messed up you are. Let me explain it this way. Some of you, your Christian life is based on your righteousness. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, let me describe it this way. When you feel good about doing good things, like righteous things, my question to that person always is, how do you feel when you mess up? And what I have noticed is this, is that those of us who are self-righteous, those of us who have kind of like that Pharisaic heart in us, and we try to find our own spirituality and basis of our own righteousness, what I found out is this, those of us who are bent towards that direction, which I think a lot of us, because we want to be God, we want to save ourselves, we want to be the hero of the story, many of us, we end up doing pretty much this one thing. We hide. Because if you are viewed this way, what do you do when you fail? What do you do when you are in addiction or you're in a bondage to something? What do you do? So it is better to appear like this but then not share this and hold this. But you know what? This is the poison that will kill you. This is why I said earlier, it will kill your spiritual life. It will kill your mental health as well as your emotional health. So if some of us are hiding from the realities of what it is that we're going to have to face, I'm telling you right now, you are setting yourself up for failure and it's not going to be pretty. So it's not about you being faithful. Even though God tells us to be faithful to the things that we're given. But it's more of he's the faithful one that we trust and depend on. So when we fail in being faithful, we could turn back to the faithful one and say, God, I cannot do this, but you can and you will. Then in verse 24, we're going to see the third letter statement. He says, let us draw near to God. He says, let us hold fast. And then in verse 24, we see this let us statement, and it's an exhortation to help each other. We help each other towards what? Love and good deeds. And how do we do that? By encouraging one another. Look at some of these other translations. Will you read the yellow section with me? It says, let us think of ways to what? Motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Here's another translation, NIV. It says this, let us consider how we may what? Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And then the voice translation says, let us consider how to what? 
inspire each other to greater love and to righteous deeds. And the last, I think we have one more. The expanded Bible says this. Let us think about each other and what? Help each other. Or how to provoke or rouse, encourage each other to show love and do good deeds. What we are seeing here is this. That everything that we do, our motivation should be because it's about Jesus. And because we love people. And there are people that will be part of your life group that you're saying, I I love this brother, I love this sister in Christ. I want them to grow and experience more of God. Some of you know, those of us who are a little bit more gospel fluent, you know when people are so driven by works that it breaks your heart that they're living this way. Some of you know when some of these people that you're spending time with, it might be accountability groups called LCG, life change groups, or it might just be a relationship that you have with them because you've known them in many different contexts of life groups in the past. And you know that they're struggling with the sin. You know that they're living in darkness. You know that they are living in rebellion against God. It will break your heart because why? Because you are motivated because of Jesus, what he has not only done for you, but what you know that Jesus can do for that person. But they just refuse. I think that's why building up a good community is learning how to motivate, inspire, and to help other people towards the heart of God. And it starts with being motivated by Jesus and the gospel. In verse 25, it says that, It is an emphasis on not neglecting to meet together. Now, it's really interesting that the writer of Hebrews says this. And a lot of times you might be, oh, he doesn't want us to miss life group that. No, that's not the point. You need to understand during this time in the writing of the book of Hebrews, there's a lot of persecution. And because there were persecution, guess what? The reality of gathering together, having these private meetings, like there is a good possibility that you might get killed. So I want to challenge us to interpret and understand that verse in the context of the writer of Hebrews. It was a time of persecution. So it would have been so much easier if we don't meet. Sounds like COVID part two, 2.0. It's just easier. Because if we meet, we might die. We might be arrested. We might be put in prison. But here's the writer of Hebrews that says, not to neglect. Do not stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Even that phrase, habit, that means that there are people who have been doing this for some time and now it's become a habit. Oh, we don't need to meet. We don't need to meet. That's why some things become a habit when you first do it and you continue to do it, it becomes a lifestyle. You guys know I'm from Chicago. Do you guys know what the nickname for Chicago is? Windy City. It's TA. Life, all hell is breaking loose. No, it's not. I'm like, this is nothing compared to Chicago. Chicago is like 50, 60 kilometers per hour regularly. 
And it could blow off your hair if you have some. But you know what I'm talking, you know what I'm saying? Now, please don't get me wrong. Some of you understand our church stance. We have it on our website if you want to look at it. When it's T8, the transportation still continues, but on a limited basis. When it gets to T9 and T10, everything shuts down. And I was here about, what, what was it, six years ago when they had the T10? I came out and I saw trees, branches. I'm like, dude, T9, T10, we're shutting everything down. I'm sharing this because, listen, one of the things that I'm trying to teach the leaders as well as our church, we don't want you to be reckless. But I am challenging you. Would you pray? that God will allow us to have our gathering, even though it looks like it's going to be T8, asking God to downgrade that to maybe a T3. It's amazing how so many people, when it's T8, oh, we can't meet. And so here's my challenge. I, I just love challenging myself, all of us. Here's my challenge. What if Saturday was your wedding? I'll just forget about it. We don't need to get married. <laughs> Lord, please downgrade to a T3. So my challenge to you is can you be that desperate? Can you be that hungry to pray? Because we don't want to neglect the meeting and gathering of together because it not only is a biblical but it's something that we need. But every single time, whenever we get these tea whatever, people are like, yeah, whatever. So that's why I always come back. If it was your wedding, if it was a very important meeting, would you not be praying? Would you not be saying, God? And if he doesn't, then we're still surrendering. We're like, then we will have it at another time. So my thing is, it's okay. Let's, I am trying to challenge people with your heart. Don't neglect the meeting of together because the, this gathering of together is where you can really make it not only about Jesus, but you're actually ministering to people. But the encouragement is to continue to meet because it's part of obedience to God. You know, just recently, I've been doing a lot of uh, reflection. Some of you guys know I went on a personal retreat. And it was just time for me to rest, get ready for this new year. And God gave me a revelation. And what I mean by revelation, it's just common sense things, but just God impressed it upon my heart. This is something that I want you to see and also to be able to address to the church. I've shared this in different contexts with some with the leaders, some people I'm spending extra time with and all this other stuff. And I want to share it with you because I think this is so important. Some of you might have heard it before. Some of you might have not. But I, I, I want us to be on the same page. 
There's nothing more satisfying for Satan than to see God's children living disobediently and far away from God. There's nothing more satisfying for Satan. If some of you are, are during the T10, you caught up with all your episodes and all your drama and all that, you want to hurt somebody, you, you hurt their child. There is nothing more satisfying to Satan than to see God's people living disobediently and living in bondage to sin. There is nothing more satisfying to Satan. So let me lay it out for you. There are a lot of people, even in this room, who are lonely. You're surrounded by people, you have a life group, but you're lonely. For that two hours, you're like, oh, I, it was great, I talked to people, but you go back home and you're all alone. You know what loneliness does? What it's really trying to speak to you, it's kind of like when you cut yourself and there's pain. When you feel loneliness, it is a sign that you are disconnected. Not only with God, but you're disconnected with people. But guess what? Sometimes you don't even know you're lonely. You just feel something. And you know one of the things that happens in a loneliness? Loneliness, because there's an ache in our hearts, it causes us to turn to things to medicate it. It could be your career. It could be... TV shows, it could be to drugs, it could be to sex, it could be a lot of things. Video games. And so what happens is that as you get tempted, because Satan knows, as you get tempted, then as you fall in sin, instead of having this confident access to God, and having this convincingly an understanding that we are assured in full faith, guess what happens? We start feeling shame. We start feeling guilty. And then we want to avoid people. So here's the irony. You are lonely, which is a sign that you're disconnected from God and for others. And in that pain, you turn to sin. And once you sin, what happens is you start feeling these things that I think is natural. Because that's how God wired us up. It's from the beginning of time. When Adam and Eve sinned, they hid from God. So you start hiding. And guess what happens? You get isolated. Not only does Satan love it when you're isolated, because when you're isolated, he could play with your thoughts, your minds. He could tell you lies, and you start believing in it. So here's what happens. You're lonely. You feel this ache of loneliness. You then are tempted. You fall into sin. You feel the shame and guilt. And instead of turning to God, you start turning to yourself. So you get isolated. And when you start getting isolated, guess what? You feel the loneliness again. And because you feel this loneliness, this cycle starts all over again. Because you're lonely, 
You're then feeling the pain of it. You're trying to medicate yourself so you can get rid of this, and it just keeps on going. And guess what? If that circle keeps on getting stronger and stronger, that means that it becomes a bondage issue. And the only way, listen to me, this is so important. Like, I was debating if I should share this, but as we're talking about community, I think this is so important. This, this is the heart of God. Because there might be some of us who are in this situation, and God is speaking to you because he wants to set you free. Is that in this cycle, if you keep on going through this over and over again, not only will you harden your heart, because how many times can you feel shame and guilt without then after a while, like, oh, forget it. How many times can you feel, oh, I feel so bad. God, I'm so sorry. How many times? So it hardens your heart. And as it hardens your heart, you know what happens? You don't want to interact and have biblical community with others. But that's the thing. That's the very thing you need. You need to be able to come out of the hiding with a group of people who love you, who will not judge you, who will listen as you share and confess. That's how God wired us up. As you are getting to be known, that fear of rejection starts coming in. But when you know that there are people who love you and who care for you, because they understand God's grace, because they've gone through that same cycle, they understand the message of the cross, that they will be able to see you and know you, but yet not reject you. That is the thing that will set you free. But Satan wants to continually put you in this cycle and you start believing in some of these things. And I'm telling you right now, the only way, and there's a couple possible ways. Either you are literally at the end, of, bottom of the bottom. You're just pretty much feeling hopeless. You're about to die. And there have been people who try to commit suicide when you get that deep. Or there is some kind of experience that wakes you up and you realize that this is not who I am. This is not what I want to be. God has created me for something more and greater. And you begin to understand that your loneliness can be met with a God who is faithful. And when you begin to connect with him again, you begin to experience that this confident access that you have to God. And then from there, you have this full assurance that you're completely convinced of faith and this hope that you hold on to. That's when you begin to not only receive forgiveness and you feel the forgiveness, but you begin to have hope. And when you have that, I'm telling you right now, you will literally break that cycle and you're going to experience a life that you've never expected before. Can I make one caveat to this statement that I just made? As you get older, it gets harder. So praise God for all these college students. You guys are still clueless, but I, no, I'm kidding. We love you. We love you. But I'm telling you right now, as you get older, it's harder. Look at the single adults in our church. They look like they're so happy, they're lying. They look like they got their life together. Look at their jobs. They should be happy. Deep inside, they're aching, yearning. You want to take a step further? Look at some of the married people. 
I'm telling you right now, as you get older, it is harder to break that cycle. That's why that much more, as we get older, we need that much more accountability, that much more community in our lives. Do you know why? Because you have more to lose. You have a family. You have a job. You have a reputation. You have more to lose as you get older. That's why it's easier to hide or you want to hide that much more. This is why we need community filled with people who are very gospel fluent and who will be able to help others. That's why, can I just challenge us? Instead of constantly consuming, start contributing. Start giving. Give of your time. Give of your energy. I'm telling you right now, you're going to start feeling something that you've never maybe felt ever or maybe some of us in a long time. Stop making it about you and make it about Jesus. May he be our motivation and may he be our message. Jesus and the gospel has to be our motivation. I love what Tim Keller said in his book, Center Church. He writes this, the gospel creates community because it points us to the one who died for his enemies. It creates relationships of service rather than selfishness because it removes both fear and pride. People get along inside the church who could never get along outside because it calls us to holiness. The people of God are in loving bonds of mutual accountability and discipline. Thus, the gospel creates a human community radically different from any society around it. Growth and grace, wisdom and character does not happen primarily in classes and instruction through large worship gatherings or even in solitude. Most often, growth happens through deep relationships and in communities where the implications of the gospel are worked out cognitively and worked out practically in ways no other setting or venue can afford. Christian community is more than just a supportive fellowship. It is an alternate society. Let me say it again. Christian community is an alternate society. And it is through this alternate human society that God shapes us into who and what we are. It starts with the gospel. It starts with Jesus. He has to be our message, and He has to be our motivation for us to want to be in community, that we will not neglect the gathering and the meeting of one another, that we will spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And you know what? When we think about Jesus and our motivation, the last part of verse 25, can we go back to verse 25? Listen to what it says in verse 25. It says, And all the more as you see what? The day drawing near. Pretty much what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to come back. We don't know when, but he's coming back. Therefore, because he can come back any moment, he can even come back tonight. Let us not neglect the meeting of together to spur and to challenge, to help each other, to grow in loving God and loving and doing good works so that people can be blessed and grow through it. 
the motivation for us is Jesus, but the urgency is because he's coming back. So therefore, the one thing, once again, is the cross of Christ is the necessity for genuine biblical community. I want to give us some next steps here for us to follow through on. First of all is this. Can I encourage us to participate in life group? And like I said, there, there are two of you, two groups of you. Those of us who have done life group before, I want to challenge you. Before you sign up, maybe what you need to ask yourself is this. When I participated in the past, was it really about me? Or was it really about Jesus? Make it about Jesus. May he be your motivation. May he be the message in which you participate in this alternate society that will change lives. To those of us who have never been part of Life Group, this is your first time here. Can I just challenge you? You could join a society at school. You could join, uh, I don't know, bouldering club at, at your workplace and happy hour time and do all this stuff. I'm going to tell you right now, there will come a point. Listen to me carefully. There will come a point when Jesus is not the center and it's bouldering, it's like hanging out or watching movies or whatever it is, making robots because that's a society you're part of. I'm telling you right now, there will come a point when you realize, wait a minute, if we stop doing this, are we even friends? Because I experienced that in my life when I was much younger. We were together because of a common hobby. But once we all stopped doing that, we were no longer friends. So to those of us who have never participated in a life group, go join other societies. Go do other things. But will you give a life group a try and see this alternate society that's totally different from any other fellowship or any other gathering because Jesus is in the center of it all. He is our message and our motivation because of the cross of Christ. If some of you are like, yeah, I'm thinking about it. Once again, you need to check your heart. Oh, I'm going to wait. Who's going to lead what? You're making it all about you. That's why I just sign up as a whatever group I have, whoever's in my life group, God, it is, it is your plan for me. And you go on that Tuesday night like, why is he here? God, thank you. Thank you. You're trying to teach me patience this year. You go on Wednesday, why is she there? Because I only said I could go on Wednesday. Why is that person there? Maybe this is the year that God will teach you how to love unconditionally people who are unlovable. Participate in life group. The second thing is this. Let's start praying for gospel-centered communities this coming year. Let's make it so much about Jesus, so much of what motivates us when we do things. Let's pray for this. Let's pray that Jesus will be in the center, the gospel will be the thing, the language that we speak and what we experience, that it will be so contagious that there are people who want to be a part of a group of people who are living out the gospel. I'm telling you right now, you know when you're doing something right, when you start hearing testimonies from these people who are not believers or who 
might be believers, they fell away, or believers who are looking for a community, and they join, and they say something like this. Wow, I've never experienced anything like this. I'm so grateful that I could be a part of this. I'm so glad in your weird purple shirts, you reached out to me. Like when you start hearing these things, that's a good sign that it's a gospel-centered community that you guys are building because you're making about him. Pray for it. That cannot come automatically. You pray and let God fill you, anoint you. Lastly, is present the gospel through our community. Sometimes the gospel is not heard, but it's experienced. That's why you can say, God forgives you. God loves you. Cognitively, you're hearing this and you're understanding this. But you know what will happen? When that person messes up and you forgive them, they will have a clear experience and a demonstration of the gospel message that will change their lives. When they're struggling, they don't want to do anything and they're just totally just in their dark hole. But you guys are praying and you reach out. You let them know. You ring the doorbell, leave that thing there and run, run off. They're like, what is this? Notes from your life group. Package of love and care. When you demonstrate this, not only do they know that God loves them, but they will be able to experience it. And this is what changes lives. I'm telling you right now, you want to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You want to touch people's lives. You want to see more transformation of people's hearts then it is in the context of community that will radically change you. I'm willing to give my life to this. I pray that you will be able to surrender yourself and say, God, use me this year to have a community that is so gospel-centered, that is motivated by Jesus, and the message is all about Jesus, that they will see the cross of Christ so that this community will be able to minister to the world around us. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.